0: you're listening to the official dietitian connection podcast this podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession this podcast will inspire you it will challenge you and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams Hello and welcome, my name is Kate Agnew and I'm the Marketing and Communications Director at Dietitian Connection. I'm so excited to be welcoming food scientist, gastronomist and culinary nutritionist Emma Sterling today for a delicious conversation about how to embrace the world of culinary nutrition and bring these emerging and dynamic skills into your practice to expand employment and business opportunities. And today is going to be an absolute smorgasbord of culinary nutrition case studies, including our favorite extra virgin olive oil. So I'd like to say a very special thank you to Cobram Estate for supporting this podcast episode. Cobram Estate is Australia's leading producer of high-quality extra virgin olive oil. And now a little bit about Emma Sterling. So uh, Emma Sterling is an advanced accredited practicing dietitian the Director of Scoop Nutrition Consultancy and an academic at La Trobe University, specialising in food science, gastronomy and culinary nutrition. And Emma is recognised as one of Australia's innovative, entrepreneurial and leading dietitians in the areas of food and culinary nutrition and effective nutrition communication. She's an early pioneer of social media. Her blog Scoop Nutrition won the prestigious Bupa Best Healthy Eating Award in 2014, and she's uh, she's established mentoring for over 30 dietitians and over 100 members of the Storehouse blog directory. Emma is a well-recognized media commentator and nutrition writer, and recently published her first academic textbook, Understanding the Science of Food, From Molecules to Mouthfeel. So welcome to the show, Emma. Thank you so much for being here. Oh,
1: it's wonderful to be here, Kate, and um, hi to all the listeners.
0: Um, It's such an exciting time because, you know, uh, earlier this year we welcomed you to the stage at our annual conference, Dietitians Unite, and you gave an incredible presentation on culinary nutrition. And to this day, I still have dietitians tell me how inspired (laughs) and excited they were from listening to you.
1: Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. And it's funny, I still bump into people that said, I heard you speak, I saw you speak. And, you know, we've really seemed to have such a groundswell um, in colour nutrition. So I'm really excited to get into this topic with you today.
0: Me too, Emma, and it's really special to have you on the show. So thank you again. Um... So maybe just to start off, in your words, what is culinary nutrition?
1: Oh, well, I thought you might ask me that. It's the it's the age old question. We actually don't really have a consensus um, on definition at the moment. But I like the one in your intro about the idea that it's the practicality needed to make a difference to the population. And when we look at places that are a little bit more evolved than us, particularly in the US, um, the area of food and um, culinary nutrition is quite well advanced in their profession. Um, even they're sort of still debating um, what what is culinary nutrition. And I've actually put a recent journal article in the show notes um, that is that that itself debating that. Um, but to me, it's really about I suppose taking a great passion um, for food and putting the deliciousness back into nutrition and leading with a food first philosophy. And that, that philosophy will also acknowledge that cooking is at the core. Um, but I think it also for us um, as dietitians recognize the huge growth in opportunities in our profession as we upskill and move into brand new territories. I mean, today I'm, I've mentored dietitians that have got dream jobs in culinary nutrition that I would have only hoped you know, would have been available when I graduated. This is brand new territory for us.
0: Yeah, and it's such an exciting space as well, especially when you start talking about all the opportunities. Um, but maybe if we just peel it back, tell me more about how your interest in culinary nutrition started.
1: Yeah, look, it's so funny. It, it, it took me a while to find my tribe, I think, Kate, you know, it's certainly as. Even as quite a young child, I had a, a really strong passion for cooking, um, I think for eating as well. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, always um, being around very good cooks in my family, which is a common thread people talk about. I think I probably served up my f- first three course, you know, full dinner party to a huge table, um, probably near seven to all my girlfriends in high school. You know, I was one of those people that just cooked. Yeah, that's but I was so young. I like, know. Oh, <laughs> But it was also like I was a really good girl, you know, a good math science student. But it was kind of the science of food, particularly during chemistry, that really um, um, catapulted me into studying dietetics. And then as a baby dietitian, um, you know, I had really good foundation experiences. I worked um, at Great Ormond Street in London at the big as a pediatric dietitian. And while I was waiting to get my registration. I actually um, just worked as a cook in the diet kitchen and we had this, you know, bespoke, very special diet kitchen set up. We made, you know, low-protein biscuits for kids with PKU. We did allergen diets and very special um, dietary baking and cooking and then had the joy of delivering those products to the ward and actually seeing the parents and the kids' faces when they had been on quite a restricted diet and being seeing something really delicious served to them. So that was quite a good foundation. And then I think in all my roles as dietitians, whether I've been in clinical or community or in the media or in, you know, food industry, other roles, I've always put my hand up first for projects that had some element of food or working with chefs or catering or food service or along those lines. So over the years, I just naturally accumulated quite a lot of skills and a lot of projects um, along the way. And then I think you mentioned about um, being a social media earlier adopter you know, that was another great catapult for me because suddenly you had to be not only a self-publisher, but you had to do your own food styling and photography. And, and recipes was a, a large part of um that blogging experience. And I, I laugh actually that, you know, I blogged for seven years and created lots of opportunities for dietitian. And we didn't even talk about podcasts back then. So I, I love the new genre um of podcasts and I'm listening to a lot when I'm, I'm driving to work. So, the other thing that I think is really interesting in this space is that I maybe at times i didn 't think that this was the area that dietitians worked in, and I would go off to food festivals where chefs would speak or i 'd spend a lot of time with hospitality friends because they kind of you know spoke my language quite well. I fell in love with um, chefs that were doing really exciting things around the world um, i 've put in the show notes a link to an old blog post of mine talking about the Viking chef Magnus Nielsen who who really is an incredible food historian and is documenting the whole of the Nordic diet. Oh, yeah. um, I fell in love with people like um, Massimo Bottura, who's a very famous Italian chef. And, you know, but he's now doing incredible things with food rescue. Um, in London, he's um, set up in, in connection with um, a food shelter. They rescue food, but they turn it into the most highest restaurant-quality meals for the homeless. And I was really lucky um, a couple of years ago to go and volunteer there. So that, that philosophy that we'll do, we won't just rescue food, but we'll actually um, really appreciate the quality and the, the shared meal in a high-end um, high experience. So I sort of, you know, really fell in love with those things. So, um, and that, that catapult into social media also connected me finally to another part of my tribe, which is what I love about our digital age, is that suddenly it wasn't just the Australian dietitians I knew that had a passion for cooking. I found this whole tribe of um, dietitians that was part of a formal practice group called the Food and Culinary Professionals Group as part of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And so I've made lifelong friends from that group. I found dietitians that were working at health spas and at had, had restaurants in New York and some that had tra- trained as chefs. And I suddenly realised um, we've got a, you know quite a bit of work to do in, in Australia to, to catch up but huge, huge opportunity.
0: Yeah, and so has that kind of created a sort of um, passion for seeing all the possibilities in culinary nutrition?
1: Absolutely. I, I think the, the possibilities um, are absolutely endless and I think some dietitians, you know, are, are na- have naturally been that way. Dietitians have gone and opened restaurants and cafes and, and done this work traditionally. We probably just haven't done a, a good marketing job of packaging it up together And looking at new career paths and new territories, I I see the great strength is if we do come together as a colony nutrition collective and, you know, hopefully we can cook up some exciting plans in the future, that coming together will will really show us great strength and we can take over, you know, territory that really is rightfully ours. Culinary Nutrition Collective. I love that. that. I'm I'm working on that one, Kate.
0: (laughs) You better trademark that. (laughs) Yeah, that's really exciting. And you're really pioneering that area, Emma, so it's really cool. Um, Now, tell me about some of the key skills and competencies dietitians need to practice culinary nutrition and start embracing this space.
1: Yeah, look, I think you can certainly upskill and I'm forever learning myself but I think I'd first just like us to acknowledge that you know food service dietitians have been experts in menu development and speaking to chefs for decades and we know community dietitians have been running you know uh, cooking interventions and cooking classes and at the same time you know I would like to nod to my food industry dietitians who some of them are you know complete experts in you know food supply chains and all those that that intricacies as well so we actually, as a profession, have an incredibly strong base um, and we maybe, as I said, haven't just collected those skills together. Um, so we need to kind of package those skills in a new way to drive opportunities. But what I'm doing, um, particularly um, in my role as an academic, is to try and really instill into um, student dietitians that ultimately you will do incredibly well if you have an in-depth knowledge and appreciation of food. And in and a very very easy way to fast track an in depth knowledge and an appreciation of food is to cook. So the one, the students that we have that are, have been cooks or good cooks or worked in hospitality just naturally have that that intimate knowledge. Um, so that you know that would be the first tip. But again, that's something to build over a lifetime. I'm heading off to Vietnam very shortly with a group of fifteen students, and talk about. Uh, my dream job, um, you know, we're going on a culinary tour of Vietnam as a subject. And so again, you know, I'll be learning brand new flavors and foods and culinary practices, you know, while we're away. What a lucky group of students. I know. That's amazing. I know. I know. It takes me back too. But, um, so would you like, Kate, would it be good to go through some of the sort of skill sets that I see? Yeah, well? that'd yeah. be
0: great. I think that really shows kind of some of the practical components that come out from this. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, I mean, you know, the first thing I think probably people think, oh, well, you, you probably need to be able to, you know, cook <laughs> and that might involve, you know, writing a recipe. Um, and, and absolutely, you know, a lot of what we, we talk about in culinary nutrition is. Um, being able to write a recipe, being able to test a recipe, being able to develop a recipe. <clears throat> but it, that alone as a skill is incredibly complex. Mm. Um, really um, strong recipe writers, you know, they know, f- they write for their audience and they write consistently. Do, are they writing for an audience that knows what the word saute means or do they need to write in the recipe slightly longer method that says, lightly brown in a fry pan with a little extra virgin olive oil. <laughs> Do you yes, know what I mean? So yeah. it's really real uh, recipe writing and, and particularly a gap that I see with a lot of dietitians is that we, we're we not very good at describing the flavour of food or the flavour of a meal or the ambience of, a, of, a, of a, a dining occasion. And so I've even done some short courses in food writing, um, things with, you know, have a look in your local um food festivals often or even the writers' festivals will have food writing um, short courses. That's what we need, those kind of skills to really um, describe food and recipes and meals in a really sexy way. Yeah. But then you move into other other areas. So obviously where we have an edge is that we have the food science and the nutrition Um, knowledge as well so it's about being a real expert user of things like um, food works so knowing what databases to select how are you going to analyze this recipe do you need to pull it apart and analyze it in three ways how are you going to calculate yield specific gravity you know are you going to send off some items to the laboratory for analysis because they're either deep fried and absorbed oil or they've changed in the cooking process that Theoretical analysis is just not going to give you, you know, an accurate picture. Um, then you need to be able to work with a whole different set of recipe and, and nutri- nutrient criteria and guidelines that are out there. Um, you need to work with allergen management. You know, the list goes on. And then we, we have all the other skills in food styling, in food photography, in product and menu development, in food law. Um, you know, we're doing some work at Scoop Nutrition um, with the mandatory um, killer labeling laws. So, you know, restaurants and, and, and chains now have to display their kilojoule labeling. So that's work for dietitians as well. But what's fascinating to me is where we're even seeing this now come through in research and other opportunities. So um, I'm not sure if you know, Kate, but there's um, a professor in Oxford University called Professor Charles Spence. And yes. he's um, known as, yeah, writing in the field of gastrophysics. And so he's working with chefs like Heston Blumenthal on um, doing crazy, you know, sort of research in in restaurants. You know, one of his experiments showed that um, the sense, sort of, the sensory side of food. So that he served strawberry mousse in a white container, and then did research showing um, serving it in a black container, and just. People's perception so that it was perceived to be 10% sweeter when served in the white container over the black container. So, you know, again, this huge um, area of research we can take um, and and come under that umbrella of culinary nutrition as well.
0: And that just, just, um, you know, listening to that list, Emma, just makes
1: me think, oh, um, how many job opportunities are there? (laughs) Absolutely, (sighs) absolutely. And there's already Incredible dietitians working in all those areas. Um, and that's where I think um, we, we probably do need some collective over time. We, we just, to be able to all of us upskill um, from the experts that are leading the way, um, you know, certainly acknowledging that there's a huge amount of work that's already done in this space. Um, and it's just about bringing it together as well.
0: And so within that, Emma, I'm seeing lots of themes of, you know, actually the fact that we're scientists come in, um, you know, to have a play in, um, in those roles. Uh, so you, you essentially wrote the book on food science uh, <laughs> and how understanding food science is so vital for culinary nutrition. So can you tell us more about um, understanding the science of food, your book, and um, what that's
1: about? Yeah, no, absolutely. So in all my years of writing, you know, I've written for um, women's magazines and had columns, you know, 15, 20 years, uh, I've had the opportunity to publish some books and also cookbooks, but this is certainly um, the text that I'm most proud of and I, and I hope and, and believe will be part of my legacy. So um, it's written as an academic textbook um, designed for, you know, undergraduate students, um, but it really has um, that focus not only on food science but the culinary nutrition side. And I've been um, an academic now for an, a few years and it was a real gap that we saw that we had to rely on US or UK textbooks and their food um, supply, their, their eating habits, it's, it's very, very different to us in Australia. So um, it was incredibly exciting, a huge, huge project but incredibly exciting to be able to publish the first Um, food science textbook of its kind for the Australian market. But what I did, of course, um, being very um, um, always inspired by chefs, I always wanted to acknowledge chefs as well. So throughout the book, um, we've sort of stripped away the science in sections and actually heard from the experts as well. So people like Maggie Beer, um, people like my um, very um, highly regarded um, baker, uh, my local baker where I get my bread, who's one of our yeah. best sort of sourdough break bakers in Melbourne, because I think it's incredibly important to hear from people that have absolutely perfected their craft. Um, Orlando, who I'm talking about with my baker, you know, he, he absolutely has the craft and the art down to a, the pinpoint of the most stunning, you know, slow fermented sourdough bread. And you, you, you just need to hear that from a chef's perspective as much as you need to hear it um, from a science perspective. It probably didn't um, also, it was, you know, a huge bonus as well that my co-author Sharon Croxford um, is a dietitian who we've become kindred spirits through our love of culinary nutrition. She's trained as a chef. She actually ran a cooking school for a number of years in Istanbul. So um, it, was, it was a great joy to um, collaborate and write the book with her.
0: It sounds like you've made best friends with quite a few chefs.
1: Yeah, well I think as I said I, I I not that dietitians didn't have that passion I, I certainly came across dietitians but for me um, there was I, I think there was at a time too that we were possibly as a profession a little critical of diet of, of chefs part of me so it's it's just exposed me to the right level of chefs that are you know they still make mistakes and they still have no idea about nutrition and but that it's through Um, collaboration that I think that we really will win um, and move into these territories by working together.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And, um, you know, our founder Marie often says that she thinks dietitians and chefs should be best friends. So it's
1: really exciting.
0: Um, So Emma, tell me a bit about the benefits to dietitians if they were to step more into this space and, and how can they bring the principles of culinary nutrition into their practice more?
1: Yeah, look, as I said, said to you already, Kat, I think there's an ultimately um, a set of skills, and we're talking about all these broad skills, but when we c- combine them together in our collective, it's really going to give us as dietitians that exclusive edge. And probably one good example um, is, you know, recently we did quite a major recipe development project for the Heart Foundation and um, two very um, precise um, nutrition recipe guidelines and so unless you, you know, if you gave that to a chef or a recipe developer, they would sort of come up with something in the framework of, you know, what they thought. They would go back to the Heart Foundation. They would have had to have done the recipe analysis, you know, in food works, come out with a nutrition criteria and say, oh, no, this is too high in sodium or this is too high in saturated fat or there's not enough fibre here. And so it really was a, t- a team of, of dietitians that could do this work. So with my team at Scoop Nutrition, we would have be here in my test kitchen, we'd have food works open, we'd have the recipes all laid out. We would be constantly in and out and tweaking as we went in, in quite a sophisticated process. Of course, always tasting, tasting, tasting as we went because flavour was important. Um, but it was really us as a combined team with this great skill set that was able you know, to really do that work.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. Um... And you also mentioned, uh, you also spoke about Sarah Leung at um, Dietitians Unite and yeah. how she's changed her practice. Well, so that's about right. That. I think
1: I think there's so many dietitians, as I said, that have already done this work. Sarah was um, was one that inspired me early, you know, quite a few years ago when she was um, relatively um, fresh into private practice. She had her own business, but instead of taking say newly diagnosed um, clients for a diabetes consultation she actually turned part of her practice which which did have a kitchen and she turned it into a diabetes cook consultation and instead of coming and sitting across the desk and seeing the dietitian, she took that new patient or new client straight into the kitchen which was all set up for culinary education so she could show them the pantry she could show them um, quickly demonstrate some cooking methods show portion sizes. And I just thought, what a, what a fabulous idea about a cook, you know, a cook saltation. Um, one of the things that was recently on my radar, and I mentioned it at um, Dietitian Tonight too, was, you know, there's some dream jobs out there. Um, Spotify um, recently um, advertised for a head of food and nutrition for their head um, office in New York. And this person had to have, you know, really strong culinary nutrition skills. It said in the job description, in this role, you will be the culinary expert helping to feed the band. And I just, I love that term. Yeah. And the idea that, you know, these huge corporations are now valuing um, corporate health and that involves actually feeding their employees and making sure that, that they are, are fit for work. Um, so the idea of driving really innovative um, food, very nutritious food in a huge organisation like that with multi centres. You know, what a dream job for a dietitian.
0: And I'm sure we can all agree that showing someone how to eat healthy food is better than just telling them how to do it. Absolutely.
1: Or even just health by stealth, Kate, you know, just serving them up what looks absolutely delicious and is part of their free lunch at work what better way to drive, you know, the health um, of your little population, but to instill those kind of health messages in people, you know, for the future as well.
0: Yeah, that's really exciting. So um, Emma, I wondered if we could talk more about um, one of my favourite culinary nutrition examples, which is extra virgin olive oil. And um, yeah, how this really demonstrates culinary nutrition in practice.
1: Oh, look, yeah, absolutely. Kate. Look, I think um, EVO or extra virgin olive oil is a perfect example where we really can as dietitians take a leadership role. I think it's hilarious that on one hand we've got, and I've, you know, I've been to the groves and seen it myself. This We've got this gorgeous, absolutely golden, you know, it's really just this beautiful, beautiful, fresh olive juice. But at the, on the flip side, we've got all these crazy urban myths about, Oh, you can't cook with it and you can't do this and, you know, don't heat it. And, you know, I, I think uh, urban myths are absolutely incredible where they come from. So, you know, it's not enough that the Mediterranean diet has been using extra virgin olive oil and cooking and frying and dipping and, and baking and drizzling for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. That's where as dietitians, we can come in with the food science and now, you know, show and bust those myths. It's the food science that is able to show us that, yes, you can cook with extra virgin olive oil, that it has this incredible variety of bioactive compounds that you know, is higher than many of our mainstream cooking oils. Um, and at the same time, as culinary nutritionists and dietitians, we need to start to talk, as I said, about flavour. So we can use those um, to our, our advantage, particularly with chefs as well, and trying to get into those collaborations. So we can talk about things like the oleocanthals, which have those beautiful peppery flavour notes. So it's the food science that actually sets us um, apart and helps us um, and drive our, 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 our collaborations as well. Yeah. Was, I, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Emma. Well, I just, I just remember there was that recent study too. I think it was just published recently in um, Nutrients Journal, which um, they talk about a sofrito, which is, you know, the Italian um, term for cooking, you know, your tomato with You know, starting off your onions and garlic when you're cooking, sort of like say a a pasta sauce, and so that alone, just one single dose of a sofrito, had an absolute acute effect on anti-inflammatory markers. So, you know, there's a lot more to the health story of um, the manipulation and the the whole food effect and food synergy, and the positive um, advantages of of what happens when we cook food and um, and nutrients as well.
0: Yeah, that's great, and that's. Great example as well of thinking of food as more than just nutrients, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Emma, I'd love to talk more about some other standout examples of culinary nutrition oh. and which dietitians are really <laughs>
1: excelling in this space. I thought she'd ask me this. Look, <laughs> I tried really, really hard at um, dietitian night to showcase, you know, over 20, you know, dietitians that are doing incredible work. Um, and And I probably, we haven't got time for that today, but I certainly, um, I thought one really good example was um, Hannah Gilbert, who is a dietitian that I've mentored for a number of years um, now and really just become good friends. Um, So Hannah is the head of culinary um, for Australia and New Zealand for HelloFresh. And I think again, you know, not only is the market is changing, you know, these, these jobs weren't around for dietitians, but the idea of food delivery is a, is a huge growth um, over the years as well. So she um, oversees this huge team of recipe developers and testers and chefs and menu planning. And, you know, there's quite, um, quite a sophisticated approach that they take. Obviously there need to be a profitable business as well. And I mean, Hannah has these incredible stories of her leadership, you know, driving, um, they do a, a global, I think they call it like a recipe score so that through their custom marketing, they can actually track, um, their customer feedback on, on their recipe scores. Mm, so wow. she was able, and this is a dietitian running yeah. this huge team, the Australian uh, market was consistently receiving these very, very high global, um, recipe scores. And, you know, that's just absolutely phenomenal work and, and opportunities for us as dietitians.
0: It's really um it's really exciting to hear about a dietitian leading that that endeavor as well and that project. It's yes. awesome.
1: So forgive uh, forgive me for not mentioning the other 100 people but um, yeah I thought that was just a good example of a um absolutely new area um as well.
0: Yeah and um diet, many dietitians doing incredible work but so much work to still be done as well. Absolutely. Um So Emma, tell me a bit more about um, how you think dietitians can use culinary nutrition principles to really inspire their clients to eat more vegetables, for example. Um, You know, I I can think of one, uh, cooking them in extra virgin olive oil. Um, Could you expand more on that? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, look, I think I suppose it's really hard to – Ah, condense it down but I, I, I keep coming back to flavor and this is I suppose one thing that chefs are very good at is, is the idea of, of leading with flavor so we need to focus on flavor and then the satisfaction from this that most delicious meal will, will come um, and and so flavor you know maybe we won't quite promote wrapping you know asparagus and and grilling and pancetta every day for flavor <laughs> um, but we need to acknowledge that you know boiled plain old veggies like you know some of my older aunties might have done it's not that sexy and not not that flavorsome at times um so that's where something like extra virgin olive oil can come in and obviously you know we know um from mediterranean diet research that adding extra virgin olive oil to meals particularly to things like um, vegetables and legume-based dishes will, will drive um consumption and so it's it's helping the vegetables go down, <laughs> if you like. Yeah. Um, but then as food scientists and as culinary nutritionists we, we've got that science now. We know that it enhances, you know, the bioavailability of fat-soluble vitamins, of lycopene, of other bioactives when you add something like um, Evo to um, a Mediterranean-based dish. So um, we can lead by teaching flavour balance under the lens of nutrition. You know, it might be you're sauteing beautiful, rich umami mushrooms and you're adding pungent garlic with, with extra virgin olive oil. But then, you know, you might need to balance that dish. You might need to add a real burst of freshness, say beautiful chopped parsley and a squeeze of really sour lemon juice at the end. So that's where I think we can learn from chefs about that idea of, of leading with flavour and the flavour balance. And then there's all the other things that we need to help our, our clients with the practical skills in shopping, how to do your mise en place. So you're not like my husband. Hope he never listens to this. <laughs> you know, you're still, you still you've cooked one part of the barbecue and you haven't started the salad yet. You know, there's, yeah. there's all those skills that we have to um, we have to get right. So mm. lots of opportunities. And do you think sometimes we forget that it's
0: not innate to other people the way it maybe has become really um, almost innate to us as foodies and, um, yeah, and cooking
1: lovers? Absolutely. And, I do, and I, look, I mean, it's no disrespect, but I think it's not innate to all dietitians either. I mean, the people yeah. come into the profession for other areas. So this is something we might need to look at, um, particularly working through new um, competencies for dietitians is the ability to cook, is, is, should that be a core competency? It's, it's, it's quite an interesting, it's probably a debate for our next podcast next year. Sure, sure. So, um, that
0: actually is a perfect segue into my next sort of like, well, my last question to wrap things up. Um, So talking a little bit about, you know, making veggies sexy and leading with flavour, we know that food is more than nutrients as we've talked about a lot on this podcast today and we know that the Mediterranean diet really highlights the importance of enjoying food and the company of family friends and looking to taste and aroma. So if you had just a couple of tips that dietitians can take to really embrace this and start bringing culinary nutrition into their practice, what would that be?
1: Yeah, no. As I said, I think it's really um, about the idea of um, thinking about what you currently are doing and then moving um, moving that into more of the culinary um, space. So it, it certainly can be things just as simple as how you help your clients, you know, shop, cook. Um, if you've got a private practice, what can you run um, a cooking class and upskill in that area? So there's a, there's a huge range of, of things you can do and there's many, many ways to upskill within the, our profession but also look to opportunities outside in short courses, in food styling, in photography, in food writing um, as well. So huge amount of opportunities.
0: Thanks, Sarah. And you're cooking up a few new projects coming in 2020, I
1: understand. Yeah, look, um, I've got some exciting things on the boil, um, but I certainly would um, um, love to come back to you and chat to them more. Um, certainly um, following me on Instagram is a really good way to probably keep, I'm not as active on social media as I used to be in my um, very hedonic days, but I am um, certainly post a lot on Instagram and 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 certainly what I'm eating and thinking about in this space. So um, that's a really good place to um, keep in touch. And I'd love to hear from anyone who's listening today.
0: Thank you so much, Emma. And thank you to everyone who tuned in today. Um, uh, All of the resources that Emma has pointed to throughout the podcast, we'll put on the show notes, um, which we'll add a link um, for. And you can also check out more about Emma's book, which we've talked about, and also a really great culinary nutrition infographic that Cobram Estate have developed. So, um, yeah, really great resources there. Um, Thank you so much to Cobram Estate for supporting this episode and thank you so much to you, Emma, for being here. It was a real treat. Absolutely
1: brilliant, Kate, and um, let's build that collective if we can. Yes, love it. We'll talk soon.
0: thanks for listening to this episode of the dietitian connection podcast if you haven't already we would love for you to check out the other episodes that we have available we speak to trailblazers dietitians who are doing amazing work within their practice and their businesses and also those who have really changed and advanced our profession there's a whole library to choose from And if you did enjoy the show, it would be so great if you could leave a review for us on iTunes and also uh, to pass this podcast on to your colleagues and friends. Thanks again for listening.